You're welcome along to this Saturday morning's Talking Point with myself, Andrea Gilligan, sitting in for Sarah Carey today. Well, with almost 59,000 Leaving Cert students receiving the results just this week, students will be spending time digesting and dissecting the results ahead of the first round CAO offers due to be released this coming week. With Ireland having the second highest percentage of working age adults with a third level education in the OECD, it would appear that in this country the path is well trodden and perhaps predetermined for a lot of us. But with Irish universities free-falling down the rankings and many students struggling to pay their way through the third-level system. This morning we're asking, are we sending too many students to college? That's our talking point this Saturday morning. And here to discuss that with me in studio is Carlo Bryan, the Irish Times education correspondent, John Walsh, education journalist and former advisor to Rory Quinn, Evany Hulavon, assistant professor of maths and education at UCD, and also Tony Donoghue, the head of education and social policy with IBEC. Folks, you're all very welcome into studio. Thank you. Thank you. I suppose, John, I might start with yourself. Have we, have we too many overeducated students? I don't think so. We, we have a lot. I was looking at figures. 50 years ago, free education was introduced. And in that year, there were just under 17,000 full-time students in all of the universities combined. We have 10 times that number now. So that the growth in student numbers at higher education has been exponential, mm-hmm. really. Uh, and uh, I think it has transformed Irish society. We do, as you say, have a very high percentage going on to higher education. But society needs that. Uh, industry needs it. And I, I think a further our higher education qualification is essential for both jobs and citizenship nowadays. Mm-hmm. And when you say a f- like a further higher education qualification, do you mean at an undergraduate level in terms of like the BA or or do you mean it at you know master's level and even higher well, I, again? I, no, I, th- I think most people now will, will have some sort of further education or higher education qualification whether they go on to further education college or into third level and we'll be discussing apprenticeships mm-hmm. later on or some other type of qualification. I think a further qualification is necessary nowadays for young people. Carl, what about yourself? I mean, you're kind of writing about this a lot and just in terms of dealing um, with the facts and figures from, from a news perspective as well and looking at leave insert results and figures and, and, you know, and, and I suppose the, the throughput of students that go on to third level education. Is it not the case though that we just have so many people now coming out of college um, with great degrees, great master's qualifications, and we just don't have the job opportunities for them here now. Well, I, I think there's a real risk that we are sending too many people to college. We're sending, as you said, it's about 60% of kids nowadays are going into higher education. That's you know off the charts in EU terms. We've, by contrast, 2% of school leavers going on to apprenticeships. So I think we should be proud that we're sending more young people to college. It's a really good thing. But the question is, are we sending, you know, too many and are there people ending up in college who would be best placed elsewhere? And I'm thinking particularly among students who are getting into college on relatively low points and struggling in courses and dropping out. So if you look overall at the university or the college, the higher education sector, you have a dropout rate of about one in six students. But when you drill down to the lower points courses, you're talking about one in four students dropping out by the end of first year and in some individual courses, as many as one in two dropping out. So clearly we have a problem there that some young people feel compelled or that they're shoehorned, Mm -hmm. if you like, into higher education. And there are many, many other very good pathways to progression, Mm -hmm. such as further education, such as apprenticeships, such as so-called earn and learn routes. But the problem is there's a big status problem, you know, with further with um, further education versus higher education. And I think a lot of this is down to our obsession with higher education. 
And I think maybe that comes back to, you know, there's a lot of historical reasons yeah. why we place such a value on education and particularly university and college education. But I think further education has suffered, particularly with the economic crash, because the number of apprenticeships plummeted during the crash. During the and it's only beginning to very slowly recover. And I think people don't have faith in going into further education. And some people ask the question, you know, are, is there a snobbery issue? You know, are, are mm-hmm. people insist, insistent in going into higher education versus further education? I don't think it's a snobbery issue. I think it's people are making a call saying that I don't have faith necessarily in the further education system. Okay. And higher education seems to be the be-all and the end-all. So I'm going to go for that. Well, well it's, it's, it's a point we're going to turn our attention to um, just during the programme or a little bit later in the programme as well. But I just wanted to pick up actually on something that, that Carl mentioned. Um, and that's, I suppose, with regards to the number of students that are dropping out. And maybe when we look at this new Leaving Cert system that's now been introduced, I know we'll, it'll take some time to kind of see the fruits of that. But just even in your own, um, I suppose, professional perspective, when you look at students coming in, and particularly in areas like maths and, you know, and stats and that kind of, that kind of arena, are, are you, how are you finding that? Like, are you noticing that students are, are they equipped to come from second level into third level and meet the demands, the third level demands? So there's a couple of points to deal with there, Andrea, because first of all, if I go back to when I began my degree, which I did theoretical physics in UCD back in 2001. Now, at that time, there were, I think, 400 other students who began a science degree mm-hmm. um, in UCD. But the dropout rate was enormous at that time. And I remember meeting people in September and really not seeing them again after that because people just didn't feel like they were in the right course. And I think there is a huge status issue and I'd like to come back to that later on. But I think part of that problem was also what Carl mentioned there. At the time, doing science was around 300, I think it was 320 points. My own degree programme at the time was 370 points. Now you had to have your minimum requirement in maths, but once you had that, you could do it. So I think there is something to do with our system with the CAO and people are afraid of, and I'm saying it in inverted commas, on the radio, Mm -hmm. wasting their points. Um, And I think choosing what you'd like to do later on in life because you're interested in it rather than you feel like you have to use your grades that you achieved at Leaving Cert is one issue to deal with. Now, as a lecturer in uh, ECD at the minute, I think we have uh, kind of addressed this problem in two ways. The first way is the Higher Education Authority has asked universities to try and reduce the number of courses that there are for students to choose from. So now in ECD, if you wanted to do the degree that I did, mm-hmm. theoretical physics, you come in the same door as everybody else is doing science. So you choose DN200 on your CAO course. There is one door in, but 28 different doors out. Okay. So in first year now, a student can choose to try a little bit of physics but maybe they want to try a bit of zoology or maybe they'd like to have a go at financial maths or maybe they thought they would always like uh, chemistry but they just didn't do it for their leaving cert. So you can taste uh, all these different programmes that we have on offer in first year. Again in second year you might uh, specialise a little bit more but it's not until the Mm -hmm. end of second year that we now ask you to choose your degree pathway. And has that cut down on the the dropout rate as such? It absolutely has because now students but they might have in their head, you're 17, what do you know yeah, what you? a degree is? Do you want to do astronomy and space science or do you want to become a physics and maths teacher? You're not sure of that uh, choice. It's, mm-hmm. it's too big really to make at that point. But then you come into university, you do your labs, you meet your lecturers, you do your modules and now you can make an informed decision about what subject you're really interested in and what you're good at. And so I think this is one way of reducing the massive rates of dropout that we have had because now students find it a little bit, a little bit easier uh, to manoeuvre themselves. Okay. 
Now, the second point, I think, which is quite important, um, probably in, in respect to the new grade system that we have at the minute, is that the points have increased for doing science STEM um, at the minute. Um, and it's not to say that it's we only want students who are going to achieve over 500 points. That's not the case at all. But you do need students who have a minimum requirement to begin a degree in whatever specialisation mm-hmm. it is. So obviously, if you're going to come in and study mathematics or a mathematics-based degree, we would like you to have an honour in honours maths. And that minimum entry requirement is very important. So that has pushed up the points because you now have 25 extra, extra points for doing honours maths. Mm-hmm. So I think those two mechanisms, the Undenominated degree and having a minimum entry requirement, which kind of stabilizes the student who will go for that because they realize that is one of my strengths or one of my interests. Okay, we'll come to the status issue because I know everybody wants to have have a you know at least a comment on that and even to look at the other kind of earn and learn programs that that Carl mentioned as well. But I just uh, Tony, in your perspective, from a business perspective and from the business people that you speak to, particularly the employers, with that kind of like exponential rate of inflation that we had in education qualifications, particularly I think during the downturn, people who couldn't get jobs went back to college, they tried a new degree, they got a master's, some of PhDs, etc. Like, do business, do, do employers care about that? Like, if I'm Andrea Gilligan going in for a job, does having BA, MA or, you know, a litany of other letters after my name, does that matter really? Like, Some employers do, it depends on the occupation. I mean, employers are looking for a combination of knowledge, skills and attributes. The knowledge is the more vocational, subject-specific area. And even throughout the uh, recession, we had shortages in IT, uh, languages, data analytics. Uh, more recently, that, that sort of uh, those sh- uh, deficits have actually broadened into areas like hospitality, etc. Mm-hmm. So there are specific knowledge deficits. Then there are uh, what we call skills, and that's the sort of basic numeracy, literacy skills, but also the ones that you hear about, the analytical, the critical thinking, the communication skills, which incidentally, our second level system does not serve us well in that regard because of that sort of undue emphasis on the leaving certificate as the terminal, be all and end all examination. And then the third thing that employers are looking for uh, are what we call attributes, and that's things like flexibility, work ethic, commitment, a sense of responsibility. Um, So it's not always – it it depends on the occupation that's available. Employers' views will actually move with the labour market. When you've got a very tight labour market, they are going – to be uh, find it more difficult to source the type of skills they're looking for. When it's a loose labour market, as we've had during the recession, they can take whatever's out there. Mm-hmm. So, but I think, and previous speakers have said uh, this, I think um, we should celebrate the fact that we do have these high uh, progression rates into higher education or high uh, value put on education. But uh, as has also been said, it's not for everybody and it tends just to measure a certain type of learning. There's different ways of learning. Not everybody learns at the same stage in their life mm-hmm. or indeed in the classroom. They probably can learn experientially. So it's not serving us well in that it's funneled. We've got this kind of 
machine that sort of drives us through the CAO for 18-year-olds. That shouldn't be the only model. People should be able to come back to higher education. Um, Higher education should be more available for mature learners, for people in employment, and the system does not serve us well in that regard. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about that, Earn and Learn, perhaps, in in that context in in a few minutes. But I I suppose, John, just when you were working with, um, I suppose, Rory Quinn, and obviously a former education minister, and and just as a former education journalist yourself, is it not the case that it's very difficult for many people, you know, at, at a third level um, category to go back and try and do a master's or maybe turn their hand to something else and go back and do another undergrad degree? Because the cost of it is just so expensive. And although we have this free education system, like I know myself from when I started in NUI Galway, um, you know, back in 2002, the admin fee at the time, which was the administrative fee for exams, etc., was €900. Euro. And I just looked there the other day at some of the colleges and it's now at 3000 So... Like the free fees idea, it's 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 like it's it's not it's not the case, and it, it puts a, an incredible amount of pressure on people, um, coupled with living costs, etc. As well, is is that a real barrier? It, it is for some people, there's no doubt. I mean, you're quite right that the cost of doing a master's has grown very quickly over the past few years, um, and some employers do look for a master's for some particular courses, and particularly for for say a humanities graduate who has a very general degree, they might feel they have to specialise in some area for a year. And that is expensive, as you as you quite rightly point out. Can I just follow up on one point that uh, was, was made by um, about the 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 course options that UC, mm-hmm. UCD has certainly reduced the course options that you can get in on the undenominated uh, course. But we still in the system have over fourteen hundred mm. choices for students in the CIO system. That's pretty much the same as it was five or six years ago when the discussion started yeah. on, on reducing the number of op- options. And do you think that's too many? Oh, I do, yeah. 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 I mean, as a 17-year-old, I mean, to, to start to try to see between mechatronics, engineering and electronics, yeah, engineering, yeah. Um, I think is quite challenging, quite challenging for some adults even. Um, so I, I, I think that the route that UCD and so, some other institutions have taken in reducing the course options is the right way to go. Like, Carl, even from, from your perspective, and I know you, you, as I mentioned at the outset, you, you know, obviously you're commentating on this a lot as well and writing about it. But is that something that, because I, I have friends who've gone back, who've completed masters, taken out huge loans to do it. And now they're working in their respective industries and they are not being paid the salaries that correspond with the amount of money that they have to pay every month, four, five, six hundred euro a month to repay in these loans. And this is, they're now crippled, like their early 30s, they've gone back to college and they're crippled now with debt. Yeah, well, the cost of education is a big issue and, you know, it's something that colleges or the system is grappling with at the moment because even at the present where you've about half of students at undergrad level paying the €3,000 fee, the other half, roughly speaking, would get grants. But it's still there's still huge costs associated with going to college, whether it's undergrad or postgrad level. Um, but the system is straining and it needs more money and it needs money from either the state or from employers or students. And this controversial issue of a student loan scheme is mm-hmm. floating around in the background. And you can argue you know, the merits and the demerits of that. But basically the system needs to expand over the next 10 to 15 years. Um, the, the number is going to grow by something like about 20 to 25%. So the money is going to have to come from somewhere. So college is not going to get any cheaper you know, unless the state suddenly finds a pot of gold and is able to yeah. really deliver free education. So, so it's a big issue and it's not even confined, I think, to school leavers or people doing postgrads, but you know, lifelong education is the big growth area and it's going to be because of the huge technological churn that's taking place right across 
different professions. Disruption means that, you know, about half of the jobs that will be around in 10 years' time uh, aren't even invented yet, you know. So Mm -hmm. we're going to see people are going to need much more education further on in life. So we're going to have to need some kind of affordable access to ongoing education. I think that's that's a real issue. And in fact, that's a big issue that we're not really even confronting at the moment. You know, the big focus is, yeah. is that is the school lever level if you like and and just even though I want to bring you in on that because just in, even with coupled with kind of the um I suppose the you know the the stem term as well and the idea that it's kind of a popular category in, in terms of the government trying to get more people into it and certainly with the rise and the popularity of technology as well in in recent years as well it's sort of become an area where I think there's a greater focus but is it do you find when you're teaching students at third level that um what about the demographic, I suppose, or their kind of socio-economic background? Is is that having in any way a barrier in terms of trying to attract people from all walks of life into those kind of STEM subjects? So this is something I'm actually quite passionate about because even though we are saying that we have free fees and we have free education, it's by no means free. As you said yourself, the, the cost of the fees are up to or over three grand at this mm-hmm. point. Um, you've got accommodation, you've got transport, you've got, you know, food and social etc. I know that they're not the high priority yeah, yeah. but like you have to consider that it's if you're doing perhaps one of those STEM subjects like science engineering you're probably going to be in university from nine to six for five days a week so that's having your lunch and your dinner and bring it with you and, and I see students do that but university learning is expensive um, and one thing that I find very interesting is that just We've got a huge percentage of uh, school leavers going to university, like 60%. And it's, it's on par with other countries. It's not that it's extortionate. But what we would see with that is that there are certain areas that those students come from. So I just had a look at figures last night, just from Dublin, for example. If you're from Dublin 6, there's a 94% uh, chance that as a school leaver, you will go to university. If you're from Kulak it's 22%. If you're from Finglas, it's 43%. As a secondary school teacher, and I taught physics and maths and applied maths and Tala, it wasn't common for those students to think about going to university. Now, the school was doing a great job in trying to encourage them and they were going to, um, you know, that those options were beginning to come through, that they were going to Manus and they were going to IT Tala. But it wasn't part of the culture there. And I think despite the fact that we're saying we have so many students going to university. It's not actually an equitable issue at this at this minute. Yeah. So then when I look at my own subject of mathematics and I train the next generation of maths and science teachers um, and, I, and I want them to focus on this issue. In our country at the minute, if you're from a DESH school, which is a disadvantaged mm-hmm. school, usually in a, a lower socioeconomic um, status zone, you are 50% less likely to study honours maths when compared to a non-DESH student counterpart, which means all of a sudden you're really out of the running of doing any STEM subject because you're going to need honours mathematics to take an engineering course, to take a mathematics course. Now, you don't need, necessarily need it for your computer science, etc., but it will benefit you. So... When we talk about the free fees and when we were bringing in education as something which is available to everybody, it's, it's, it is it is that in theory, but it's not actually that in practice. And I think we're going to have to have a really robust discussion on this because the university rankings um, 
are not going to improve unless we have more funding going mm-hmm. into our universities. Um, the government may not be able to afford that. So then we're going to have to look at students paying the fees. And I think we're going to have to come up with a system of funding students, but particularly from lower socioeconomic areas. And, and Tony, that has to, from your perspective as well, when you're looking at you know businesses and companies across the country, the fact that, it's, as even mentioned there, that 50% of students that are coming from Jesh schools across the Ireland, like right across the country, that they're not taking on the likes of your honours maths, like that must have an impact in terms of the kind of worker that's going into the labour force as well. Yeah, well, I mean, if we talk about maths, we've always had a problem with maths. Um, this was acknowledged 20 years ago, had a problem about how it's taught and um, trying to, and we've actually made some progress in mm-hmm. that uh, area and even uh, was involved in a um, this uh, curricular reform called Project Maths, which is not perfect, but has made significant progress, yeah. I think. Um, was quite controversial, but it was this whole idea of teaching maths for understanding and, and contextualizing maths. I think that's quite important for employers rather than the rather academic approach. Yeah. We had some maths in the past where it was all about working out formulae, etc. Um, again, another controversial aspect of this is um, uh, the bonus points for maths. I think that has encouraged, again, it has it had some consequences at the lower attainment levels, but overall it's encouraged more people to take up maths. Only 15% of people were taking up higher level maths about five years ago. Now it's 30%. Uh, so I think we're making some progress there. Numeracy is probably the thing that we hear most about from okay. employers, though it is an issue. And it's because, as we've said uh, previously, we live in a technological age and a lot of technology is underpinned by mathematics. So it's not just for employment. I think to fulfill, uh, you know, have a fulfilled life as a citizen, even to manage your own finances, manage the complexities that have come into life around finance. Maths is is a pretty basic kind of uh, skill that everybody requires. Yeah, Evelyn, do you want to just come in on that? I want to obviously concur with what Tony Mm. is saying. Maths is so important. And and it's one of the, if you look at the ESRI studies, maths is the the subject which really defines how successfully you, you may do in the future. But I just want to take that up and and also say that you don't have to do honours maths and it's the numeracy skills that Tony was talking about that is so important. Uh, One of my brothers, I hope he doesn't mind me saying it, (laughs) uh, went to do uh, an apprenticeship as an electrician um, and he is fantastic at mathematics, far better than I would be at calculating and figuring out, uh, you know, electrics problems and and all of that thing. And he's gone back to university to study engineering now as, as a mature student. But he went to do that because it was something he was interested in. He's a very numerous person and he's mm. mathematically strong, but didn't necessarily go down the academic route straight away. It just wasn't part of uh, his story. And also I have a very, very good friend of mine who is at the cutting edge of technology, working in user experience which is all about an amalgamation of design with technology, computer science. He didn't do honours maths. He didn't uh, finish a degree. He actually didn't like his degree and went off and did a number of false courses and and worked experientially, learned the, the skills that he had. So... While it's important, and I just wanted to focus on the equity issue about the, the honours mathematics because it is incredibly important, it's also it's the numeracy skills that we have. All of our students leaving school who are able to use the mathematics um, that they have yeah. to, to, you know, 
read a graph and to, to and understand it and, and bring that into whatever work environment that they're going to go into. And, and that's a point as well, John, just I, I know you wanted to come in on that, Joe. It's, it's, it can often be very difficult, I find, for students. And I remember myself, like you're trying to remember what you learned in college and then sort of adapt that to so many other different avenues and subjects as well. Just I know you wanted to come in on that point as well. Well, I, I didn't know the point that Evie made about university education being expensive, and it is very expensive. But the rewards for those who get through the system, who qualify, are pretty substantial. And, uh, if you look at data from the OECD, shows that the premium, the earnings premium for a graduate from an Irish higher education institution is considerably, are considerably higher than they are from a lot of OECD countries. They earn a lot more than those who leave the system at second level. But is it not only in certain professions, though, when people look no, out with uh, certain qualifications or go into very specific professions? Uh, not, not, not just specific quali- quali- uh, areas like law or medicine or mm-hmm. whatever, but in general, they, they have a higher earnings premium and they earn more over their lifetime and particularly females actually earn more over their lifetime um, than if they had left the education system at their leaving certificate. So this raises the question of what contribution should they make towards the cost of their own education particularly as Carol mentioned the, the exponential growth, the demographic bulge that's going to come through the system if we, if we create a demand for more higher education places, some of that will be met by the welcome growth in the numbers doing apprenticeships and further education but we really have a dilemma about how do we fund the higher education system and politicians all politicians yeah. indeed well nobody and wants it, to be the politician that brought back the, brought in no, the full indeed, fees indeed, though isn't that it no yeah, everyone exactly. wants to say we free fees but there's kind of a catch isn't there, there you is, pay yeah. the admin and, fee and, 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 the, and the loan scheme is there's still there's an Oireachtas committee they hope to have a report next month on the minister's desk um, and how that will deal with the loan system mm-hmm. is, remains to be seen. Yeah, look, I, I just I suppose just before we kind of finish up on, on this point and, and Carl, I'll maybe bring you in, in on this because I know you've, you're probably looking at the, the figures and the graphs by comparison, Ireland by comparison to other EU countries. I was talking to one of my own colleagues out there this morning who actually went to, uh, did her university degree in England and she told me that she's 15,000 pounds sterling um, still to pay off her student loan from the UK. So, while we are paying back the three grand admin fee, the students are probably each year to go to college in Ireland. It's um, it's not 15 if it was for a one-off year. So yeah. th- there is, I suppose, it, it is cheaper by comparison to other EU countries, mm-hmm. but it, as as um, as was previously mentioned, it's something we're going to have to look at. Yeah, you know, the, the, you know, at least some countries have a student loan scheme in a sense. Here, we you pay your 3,000 euros effectively up front or in some colleges, you can do it by instalment. But, uh, you know, you're, you're borrowing money then on you know, the through banks at, you know, uh, high interest rates. So it's it's not a good system. But, you know, th- I think the key around student loans is that there are a lot of different type of loan schemes, you know. And if you were designing a loan scheme for Ireland, the last place you would look at is the UK and the last place you would look at is the US. Mm-hmm. You, you might look mm-hmm. at countries like Australia or New Zealand or maybe the Netherlands, you know, where you actually have it's a much more nuanced system mm-hmm. where there is still a big state contribution and the students pay a contribution, but you only pay when your income mm-hmm. as a graduate reaches a certain level and your repayment rates increase proportionally in line with your salary increases. So it's quite equitable. And they, they would argue in those countries that it actually hasn't affected you know, access to education, yeah. hasn't you know, turned off students from disadvantaged areas. So there's a big debate to be had. The reality is, the political reality is, there is no appetite whatsoever mm. for a student loan scheme, even if really it's probably... The only answer, unless the state, as I said, is willing 
to fund to fund the education yeah. system and perhaps a little more like Germany, and, really. Yeah, and I remember like Germany is interesting, you know, because Germany it's about sixty percent of school leavers go through uh, effectively the further education system mm-hmm. there into apprenticeships. It's got real high status there, you know, and this is the problem in Ireland is that it doesn't have that status. And I think coming back to your original question at the start of the program, are we sending too many? people to higher education. I think this is something we have to reflect on for career guidance counsellors, for parents, for the system itself, just to say, well, you know, we really, how are we going to rebuild the status of further education? How are we going to attract people in there? And and the media has a role to play as well. But this is something that we, we do have to tackle, we do have to address. But well, certainly it, it, it is beginning there. to change, though, with the introduction of new apprenticeships. Yeah. Um, and t- t- Tony was involved in all yeah. those discussions. I was involved initially as well in some of those discussions, but they are changing. And I suppose now the kind of question is really, is the university education overrated? Is that idea of going to the NUIG, the UCD, Trinity... Is that just completely overrated? Should students be looking at other avenues? Well, well, we have been a bit obsessed with university degrees in this country, but it was partly because there weren't really very valid options. But that situation is uh, uh, that situation is changing fairly dramatically, and we now have a, a range of new apprenticeships, and there are quite a, a number of other ones in the pipeline. I mean, if I can mention, some of them are now talking about apprenticeships mm-hmm. as bakers, butchers, ICT professionals, um, science aircraft asset management, uh, retail practice, executive chefs, uh, telecom, telecommunications field technician, Solace and the Higher Education Authority yeah. get involved in, in preparing these. And during, uh, during the week, uh, a new apprenticeship was, was launched at Accountancy Technician, which is very welcome. And when the students are on or you people are, are, are training, they will get paid about 17,000 a year. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll train on the job and they'll study as well. It's it's an um, earn as you learn scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think and some, of these, some of these new apprenticeships will actually lead to ordinary degrees or in one or two cases into uh, higher level degrees, uh, honours degrees. So I think that will slowly raise the status of our of apprenticeship system in Ireland. And has been, as has been mentioned, it has a much higher status in Germany. Germany and in Austria and other other countries, we need to have that similar status in this country. Yeah, and, and the word status, I suppose, has been mentioned kind of a lot as well. And I know, Carl, you mentioned it too at the outset. But I can imagine, um, even for yourself as a UCD lecturer, you want to keep seeing the students coming through the doors of UCD and you probably don't want to see them maybe going to other avenues. Is that like, how do you feel about the idea of the apprenticeships and the internships? I think apprenticeships are a fantastic option. So just to bring back to your first point, of course, I want to see students in front of me in my my lecture (laughs) theatre, but I want students who really want to be there. And I don't want to have somebody in a lecture theatre doing something because they feel that they should go to college, but they know in their heart and souls that they're not actually happy doing that. I would much prefer if someone said, do you know what? I absolutely, I've always wanted to be a mechanic and that's just what I'm going to do. Um, And I think we have a collective job as a society, not just media, to discuss um, these roles in society is incredibly important. We can't function if we don't have butchers, Mm -hmm. mechanics, accountants, Mm -hmm. um, electricians, plumbers. And there's been a, a huge shortage of all of these things. For a number of reasons, of course, there was the crash that came with it. But also we haven't given our young people the option of moving forward into those pathways. And it was really that you only got an apprenticeship if you knew somebody who was offering an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I think the fact that we are establishing a system where any young person says, well, I want to be a chef and there's a direct route into it, you can do that. I think it's incredibly important. And I think we need to value the, this pathway um, a lot more than going directly into university. And if I can give you just one example... Yeah. Um, this is. I had one student two years ago 
who came from uh, a disadvantaged area, but he had gone to do a PLC because he didn't have the points and he wasn't quite sure what he wanted to do um, after his leaving session. He spent a year doing this uh, the, this PLC course. And in my class, he was one of the best students that I had and he got an A in my module. And I had chats with him the whole way through um, and, and I asked him, like, you know, why did you decide to do this? And he had made such an informed decision. But doing the PLC had equipped him with not only study skills, time management, skills but also lab skills um, and he had, he had a taster of the subjects yeah. that he might do later on so I think we have to actually talk more about these options that it's not necessarily good for everybody to go directly into university from school and that there's plenty of other routes but that we, we don't celebrate them as much we don't uh, have no, headlines don't. about I, them I, I, think a lot of, I think in a lot of cases you know there's many students even people I was talking to um, you know family friends who have children or students who got uh, their leaving cert results this week and they weren't uh, probably really aware of of these ideas like earn to learn programs and like Tony from your perspective from, from dealing with businesses I know there's the likes of the insurance um, practitioners apprenticeships there's other apprenticeships that were mentioned through from the um, accountancy other financial services is there, an, is there an onus on businesses to now to try and develop more of these is that something that the business industry should be looking at well, doing? that's the whole new model that's been developed now I think I need to preface these comments by this, uh, saying this is early days mm-hmm. I mean John's former boss set up the apprenticeship review group back in uh, 2012 late 2012 at the time there was a collapse in the construction sector where 80% of apprenticeships were and there were only and up to last year there were only 27 occupations covered by apprenticeship and they were all in the craft area most of them are actually electricians but you know plasterers if, if we say apprenticeships these kind of trades so then um The review group uh, came up with this new uh, model and it was all around enterprise-led apprenticeships. And the way that works is that industry groups or professional bodies, and we've heard some examples of financial services, uh, one is a group within IBEC also, our manufacturing sector Mm -hmm. has come up with two new apprenticeships as well, the accountancy technicians, the insurance institute – Whatever a professional group has identified an occupation and the occupational standards, in other words, what people need to be able to do to do that job, they then uh, partner with education and training institutions, and they can be universities, they can be IOTs, Institutes of Technology, or they can be education and training boards who look after the further education space. They put forward proposals to the Apprenticeship Council. They have to justify it, and then uh, the apprenticeship goes into development. Now, this is uh, it's been quite a slow process. The Apprenticeship Council actually issued a call for proposals back in the uh, start of 2015. We are now seeing them coming on okay. screen. We've had seven so far. The target is 15 occupations for the end of this year and 40 new occupations by the end of uh, 2020. So, I mean, it's, there is it's going a, to be an increase. Yeah, and in terms of the numbers. The other important thing about apprenticeships, though, and about the apprenticeship model relates to your conversation around status. The only way we can do this is by actually coming up with this notion of advanced apprenticeships. That it's uh, All apprenticeships to date were on level six of the National Framework of Qualifications, which is basically post-leaving certificate. They were all four years except printing for whatever okay. uh, whatever learning outcome. So you so think th- it, need, it needs to be higher? It needs yeah, to well, be I mean, the, the new ones are. Yeah. I mean, the uh, financial services one is actually at an honours degree level. Okay. Um, 
I know of one group who's looking at developing a, a PhD apprenticeship, which seems like a, a strange notion. But in countries like Denmark, you have industrial yeah. PhDs. So if you've got the opportunity to progress from level five, which is basically leaving certificate, right up to level 10, as a, a doctorate using this earn and learn model, I think that's sends out a powerful signal and probably addresses some of these status issues mm -hmm. as well in that it's something to celebrate. It might not be for everybody, no. but at least those progression opportunities exist. They're there. And, that's, yes. and you, want to, you want to come in yeah. on that as well, John Walsh. Solace expects that there'll be about 4,500 mainly young people going into apprenticeships this year. Now that's quite an increase on what it was a few years ago. But, but at the height of the boom um, before the, the apprenticeships collapsed, we had nearly 30,000 people in apprenticeships. It was far too many because they were all in the construction sector. Well, that was the thing, wasn't it? And I think, I think people still associate the idea of doing an apprenticeship um, that, it, that it is with it's either that it's in the kind of the construction yeah. industry and that, and a lot of people I think just aren't aware really yeah, that there's indeed, so many yeah. other options. I think the, the, the growing awareness and the media are helping that of the, the, the increasing range of apprenticeships and I, I think over the next few years as more of them come on stream they will attract an increasing number mm -hmm. but at the moment the, I think the figure is about 11,500 as I call it live apprentices yeah. uh, at the moment that will increase we're still a long way off yeah. the 30,000 we were a few years ago but if it's four and a half thousand this year, I suspect next year it'll be five and a half thousand it'll coming increase. in and that'll, that'll increase. Carlo Bryan, I know, I know a lot of people years ago, I remember even myself when I was going to college that a lot of people had this idea that if you went, and it's with no disrespect that I say this, but that if you went to an IT it was because you didn't get into one of the universities. Mm. Do you think people will be able to get over that kind of psychological barrier they have towards the idea of apprenticeships? Yeah, I think you know, I think parents are going to be crucial in this you know, because I think parents, you know, a lot of attitudes come down from parents you know, and uh, uh, if you're going to win over the, the hearts and minds of students, I think we need to kind of start there and educate parents and guidance counsellors around this. Uh, otherwise, it's very difficult to change. And it's also worth bearing in mind that, you know, if you, you know, are shoehorned into higher education and it doesn't suit you, the costs are considerable because if you drop out of your course, um, you face, if you want to keep uh, in higher education, you're going to have to pay the full economic cost mm -hmm. of a course, which is much more than the three thousand euros. Um, it also has a huge cost, I think, to people's self-esteem because you know it knocks your confidence. If you've dropped out of college, you think, "Well, I'm not actually any good." Actually, no, that's not the case. You're probably a different type of learner, mm -hmm. or you're, there's other pathways that are suitable to you. So, I think you know the the obsession with third level does come at a cost. And as I said, there's six thousand students dropping out of higher education every year in their first year and we haven't actually tracked what happens to them you know so th this is the, the other side of, of you know, focusing maybe too heavily on higher education. Just I, I know even that idea the earn to learn I, I think it's actually a fantastic scheme and I think if somebody had a wave that in front of me 10 years ago particularly from the media arena and the media mm -hmm. field it was certainly yeah. something you could do because I often think you know a master's in journalism like the best master's I ever got was work experience in a local radio station mm -hmm. and that was the master's so I can totally see the benefits of something like this but I suppose it's just that point of, of you mentioned trying to grow the apprenticeships and, and get more people involved look I suppose I just want to come to you John and just the idea of the CAO because 59,000 students received their results today and that 59,000 or almost 59,000 students are going to get their first round CAO offers now in the coming days as well. A lot of pressure, a lot of anxiety, I know, in the, in, in the, in the coming days and hours leading up to getting those results. But um, 
It's a tough. It's a tough process going through that. It system. is. I mean, they have to wait from Wednesday until Monday to get to get the, to get their offers. But it's, part, it's probably worthwhile pointing out that not all of those who do the leave insert this year apply to the CAO. Probably around ten thousand didn't didn't apply to the CAO. They have other plans. They're either going to go some into apprenticeships as we've been discussing some mm. into further education some will go back and repeat although the numbers repeating the Leaving Cert are, are dropping yeah. and have dropped very dramatically over the past few years some will try to get into the the, uh, uh, the workplace directly and some will do other forms of training and take the gap year as well as a big and some, too, some will take a gap year yeah, yeah. although those will still apply to the CAO um, and then take a year out uh, those will take a gap year Um so it's not just those who are going to college, uh, but there is a, there is that gap of five days, uh, five or six days before the, the first round comes out, comes out, is a tense and worrying time for them, particularly this year with the new point system following the, mm. the changes in the Levy certificate grading system. So I hope I hope they get what they want on Absolutely. Monday. Absolutely, yeah. Look, it's it's a stre- it's a stressful time, and it was even from your own perspective as someone that has kind of gone through the system and obviously working in the media as well and lecturing um, in in UCD, like you kind of see. I suppose the different lifestyle changes and the life change that students have when they come in on the first day of college, don't you? Too? Yeah, so I mean, first and foremost, I would see myself as an educator and I began my career as a secondary school teacher. And so I, I, I love working with young people and it is a huge transition to come from secondary school into the university arena. Um, and I'll be giving my first years in, in UCD advice on that, how to, how to, to, to uh, navigate, I guess, the changes in that. But I just think for me, we're asking today, are there too many people going to university? I think it's a worthy question to ask but I think what we need to keep in mind is also that education is a fundamental pillar of society at first level at second level and at third level as well and I know the universities come in for a lot of critique and especially when we're talking about funding and etc but I think universities have a huge role to play in terms of social, political and environmental issues that as well as teaching our students um, skills um, and as well as you know developing their knowledge that we're also hoping that they become citizens that are participating in all types of debate and that would they'll make decisions based on evidence after it. So, so I think the role of universities um, is fundamental uh, to, to society working as well. And, mm-hmm. and you have to keep in mind that as lecturers, we're not just teaching, we're also researching and, and we're asking questions Learning about the world well. ra- about around us and, and trying to find out answers. Yeah, so so you, you said you see, kind of see yourself as an educator. Like, would, do you see yourself more as an, I suppose that you've, you've said that point, you see yourself as an educator, but like how much of a role do you think you have in kind of getting the students ready then for life in the workplace? Because it's obviously very different to... This is interesting. I was having a conversation about this with my friends at home because we were talking about, you know, if education is going to grow, should we just be teaching people online? And I actually think there's something absolutely key to having students in front of you so they interact with each other and they're interacting with you that when they're answering something in class they're hearing other people as well as considering their own and looking at reactions listening to reactions and I guess allowing time to to churn in real time over over thoughts and new knowledge and things like that um so I think it's 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 just it's core for me that we have that kind of face-to-face interaction and that experience and and I absolutely see that I'm preparing them for the workplace because mm-hmm. uh, in my main role I'm looking to educate the next generation of science and math teachers. I want them to be the most passionate, most knowledgeable people to go out and teach science and mathematics to our second level students because education is one big chain. And, if, and you have the life experience from being in college as well if you're, if as opposed to the online learning if you're a student who, who chooses it that route too. And, and look, and it, it suits some people but, but for me I, I 
I think that there's something uh, very important to being in a lecture room, being in a tutorial, knowing your lecturer's face and name, and for me, knowing my students' mm-hmm. names. Um, and I think that that's something that I hope we won't ever lose in student-staff ratios in universities. But I think it, it's key to, you know, being part of that, working on projects together, having that teamwork, yeah, that building communication skills. That's all part of being uh, ready for whatever work you go into afterwards. But that's part of the university experience. Tony, just for yourself and, and from again, from dealing with the kind of the businesses and from that IBEC perspective, um, do you think that the universities and the colleges and the ITs and all of the different programmes and schemes and systems that are out there, is it their job, do you think, to just to educate the students that are sitting in front of them or that they're dealing with online? Or is it their job to just solely prep people now for getting in the door on their first day at work? There's actually no dichotomy there. There's this kind of phony argument that you sometimes hear, are we educating people for society or for an economy? You know, business are looking for well-rounded, literate, cultured citizens. And um, I think some of those traditional subjects that we haven't spoken about, and, you know, most students still apply for arts, humanities and social sciences, Mm -hmm. And they actually develop some of those skills that I mentioned earlier and some of those attributes just through the education of the mind. I make a living out of encouraging engagement between education and business and also in highlighting to educators where the labour market shortages are and trying to uh, encourage that two-way communication. But I'm also keenly aware that these young people who are leaving college, are probably going to be in the workplace in, what, 2070 for, in, for the next and 50 probably, years? And probably in a different field than what their undergraduate well, Carl, as well. Carl so. made the point earlier about the jobs, you know, we can't even predict them with any degree yeah. of certainty in 10 years' time. Think about 50 years' time, how different the world would look like. So what you're trying to do is educate minds for the future. And that's as much about, okay, a disciplined mind, knowing stuff, uh, and disciplined in both senses of the word, but also creativity. It's also about synthesising. We're seeing this much more now, the ability to bring... Uh, knowledge and skills from different disciplines. Um, you know, the arts working with the sciences, for example. I mean, take, you know, these uh, uh, famous products like Apple products. That's mm-hmm. as much about design and tapping into people's aspirations as it is about smart technology. And there's lots of examples of that now, of interdisciplinary yeah. work. And then also the respectful mind, because people are working with different cultures. They tend to work in teams. And the ethical mind, you know, people fulfilling their uh, responsibilities as citizens. So that's what business is looking and to, uh, for. And to my mind, that's a very traditional view of education. Just if I can just maybe, Carl, um, on a final point with yourself, when you kind of look at this and having, I suppose, analysed the education system and third level and second level over the past number of years, like, do you think is the system going to change dramatically in any way in the next five to ten years that will allow for a lot of the different areas we've discussed this yeah, morning. Yeah, well, I think, you know, higher education will always have, or will be prized and will have status. And I think you are inevitably going to have to see the development of further education, but also lifelong learning will have to be a big growth area because of the technological disruption coming down the tracks. But I, I think to pick up what Avian and Tony were saying is, you know, for school leavers today and indeed graduates, you know, it's worth bearing in mind as, you know, whatever about the you know, the knowledge you're accumulating in your degree is that, you know, in the future, you know, you're going to have to be very flexible. You're going to have to 
be a good team worker. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to communicate, but also you're going to need to be persistent, you know, and these are the kind of skills you're going to need. And I said universities, I think, are, you know, have been switching on to the fact that you need to I- imbue graduates with this as well. But just bear in mind, I think, for, for graduates that these are skills which will be crucial and these um, you'll be able to, uh, the focus will be on being able to apply these to different disciplines because your job may change, you know, four or five, six times, but it's actually having those core set of skills that you can apply then to different disciplines. I think that's going to be, you know, very important for, for graduates of today and in the future. I'm just conscious that it probably is a Saturday morning and there's lots of parents dealing with students <laughs> who are getting those first round CAO offers now um, uh, this week as well. Just, I suppose, even what's your advice? Because you deal with the first year students a lot. So for the parents that are concerned this Saturday morning, what's your advice to them and to the students as well? Because it's it's a really stressful time. Like. Well, I've actually spoken to a lot of parents this week and I think one thing to say is if you are disappointed, hold it to yourself because it's your <laughs> Student, it's your child's decision um, to, to make and and they will have to navigate it if they don't get their first choice. Second thing is, if you don't get your first choice, it is not the end of the world. There are very, very many routes to getting to the career that you want, but also the career that you want, you may think it now, you're probably <laughs> going to change your mind. I mean, my own career has meandered so much um, t- from going into theoretical physics and I actually started a PhD in fluid dynamics and I despised it and I had to come back and, and really think what do I want to do and that's when I realised I want to be a teacher yeah. and so just to, I know it's, it's very difficult when you're 17 and 18 to, to consider that but there is more than one way to skin a cat um, <laughs> but also when you're starting on this next route enjoy it live it up as much as you can talk to as many people as you can in the first two weeks and then get into your study and university work works different as do the institutes of technology cramming will not work so keep on top of your workload okay there you are what's the phrase if i knew then what i know now is not it how it could all be so different that's it for today's show with myself andrea gilligan my thanks to my guests this morning to tony donahue head of education and social policy with ibec evie nihulavon assistant professor in the school of maths and statistics at ucd education journalist at the irish independent and former advisor to rory quinn john walsh and also carla Bryan, irish times education correspondent Stephen Jordan produced Aidan McKelvey Research and my thanks to you for listening.